Well, hey, we're going we're gonna to finish up in 1 Corinthians 13 this week. All right, so this is it. We're, we have a, another message next week, but it is on God's covenant love towards us. So we're going to move. I thought it would be a good message to, to end on in our series on Love Defined. If we looked at, in the Old Testament, God's love, his steadfast love, his unchanging love towards us. And what better way to do that than to look, to look into the Old Testament and we see the same love of God towards his people as we see demonstrated in sending his son uh, to save sinners like me. And so we're going to be doing that next week. Super excited for that. A message on, from Judges on Jephthah. And you might say, I have no idea who Jephthah is. And, and um, you are going to learn about who Jephthah is next week and probably some things you didn't want to know about him as well. Um, so uh, I, I want to share uh, just a little bit with you about uh, what is happening in our area, in our community. Uh, there's a, a church called Highlands Baptist that... Um, that uh, just lost their, their pastor. He left for the mission field, went back to the mission field, super excited for him. Um, his daughter used to go to our church before they moved to Ohio. Uh, if you remember Sam and Emily Berry, uh, her dad, Steve Haffler, um, has uh, moved to the mission field. And um, so they began interviewing people and selected someone, their favorite candidate, Dan Frang, who is currently the pastor at Calvary Littleton. And the way that this is going down is they are they're, um, looking at a merger of churches. And so it hasn't been voted on. It's being talked about. It will be the next few weeks, but it's all very public. And so I want to let you know to be praying. Um, they will be voting specifically on joining the Calvary family of churches and becoming Calvary Highlands. And so uh, Dan would come and be the pastor, and some folks from Calvary Littleton uh, would come and be a part of that and merge together. So we call this a merger. Uh, Calvary Littleton's been in existence for, I think, seven years now. Um, they rent space in a, a, a strip by, uh, is it Luis's Diner or Louis's Diner? You know, that's what I know over there, getting breakfast. I love that spot. My wife, not so much, doesn't like that, right? She calls it a greasy spoon. I call it delicious. But right there, right there, Calvary Littleton has been meeting um, really ever since they started meeting from COVID. So only about a year and a half they've been meeting in that space. Um, but it could be really good. Uh, but vote for it. Just that God's will would be done if this is good. Um, and then a second thing, and I've talked with some families specifically, but I just, I want you to know that the door is open. Because sometimes I feel like when we talk about starting a new church or starting a new venture like this, and, uh, and this is, this is going to be a big change, a big change. And, and perhaps some of you will pray about and then go and be a part of that work. That you'll be able to go and to bring this culture of love that has a big view of God that is centered on the gospel, that you'll be able to bring that kind of new life in this merger, that there would be less fighting because we understand the bigger issues are we want to make Jesus famous in our neighborhoods. And, and you have that culture in you. You've been a part of that. And that's a huge asset that when, we make a big, when a church makes a big change like this in leadership and then the culture of the church, we need people like you. The greatest resource that God has given us is 
His Spirit in you. It's not our money. It's not our buildings. It's, it's not one or two or three or four or five leaders. It is you, God's people. And so I want you to be praying about that, and I want you to know um, that you have my blessing if you say, hey, I'd love to go be a part of that work, that that door is open. I want you to know that, all right? I have a, I have a friend, Shannon, just down the road at South Holly, began revitalizing that church and uh, it was just so sad to hear the church he was coming from just closed doors. You know, like, we're, no one's coming with you to be a part of this work. And I know how disheartening that was to Pastor Shannon. That nearly crushed him right at the beginning. And I want you to know that if you want to go be an encouragement to Dan Frang and Garrett Wishall and Luke Blaine and their church and say, yeah, I was a part of Calvary, some of you, but I want to be a part of this, that you have my blessing. You have my blessing to go be a part of that. We want to see that church thrive, represent Jesus well. We want lots of churches in our neighborhoods that love Jesus. Well, so uh, anyways, uh, I want to pray for them, and we'll get going in this passage. Jesus, I pray that your will would be done. Um, I pray for Highlands and, and the, the changes that they've gone through and, and some of the hurting that they're feeling and the, the decision-making that they're about to do as a church. God, I pray for unity, and I pray that your, what you want would happen. Uh, I pray that Jesus would be glorified. I pray for the people at Calvary Littleton that, that didn't see this coming and that this might be a surprise to, Lord, that you would help their minds to have peace in you and that they would be able to have a kingdom mindset about this. Uh, God, I pray um, that they would see all the work that they've done, the ways that they've served as Calvary Littleton, as an advance of your kingdom. And it doesn't end if Calvary Littleton merges, that they would actually see it continuing on and furthering your name. God, I ask that that would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, our message is about an eternity of love. And as, as we move in this passage, Paul brings up a different idea in the workshop on love for the church body. And, uh, and he brings up this idea of what is temporary and what is permanent, right? Or what's transient and what's eternal. And when he writes 2 Corinthians, he really hits on this idea of, hey, what is transient? What is just for the here and now, but it will be gone? And what is for the eternal? And, and he doesn't say these things don't matter at all. Like the Greeks would look at some things and they'd be like, oh, that doesn't matter at all. That's physical. That's material. The Gnostics said, oh, that's bad. It's even evil. Reject it, you know, for, for um, things that were abstract. Paul's not saying that, but he is saying we need to have wisdom in our mind to know what is eternal, what is going to last forever, what's permanent, and then what is temporary, I want you to think about the, the various things that are permanent and temporary. Think in your mind of the examples. I think about our bodies, some of the things that are temporary. I think about, um, you know, I think about the different houses that I've lived in. I've, I've moved into different houses and thought, you know, oh, this is going to be the last house I'm going to buy. And, you know, I want to stay here forever. And then, oh, we moved. Think about those things that are temporary and permanent. Think about a relationship that maybe you thought was temporary, and then it lasted so much longer. A friendship, someone who's walked with you for decades. Think about those different things, transitional and permanent. I think about one in particular, uh, 
camping. And a number of you have been camping this summer. In fact, I brought, I brought my camping chair right here. You know, this is one of my favorite parts about camping is the fire, um, setting up a fire, which I, I actually had to learn. I had to grow in how to set up a fire. First, first year of marriage, there were a number of fires that did not happen. Um, but sitting in a camping chair around the fire, it's a sweet time. But as you think about the idea of, of camping, you are setting up a temporary home. You know, I, I go and I set up a tent for my family to sleep in for a few nights. We leave the, the home that I assume I'm going to, I slept in last night, I'm going to sleep in tonight, right? There's, it has a permanent place in my mind. That's where I'll be. I don't have plans to go anywhere else. That's my home. But I still enjoy this temporary time of going to the mountains, Indian Creek Campground, Buena Vista, Grand Lake, and going camping, right? And it's so weird. And if you think about, uh, you know, how many of you in here have been camping before? Okay, yeah, so almost everybody. Uh, How many of you have been camping for three nights or more? Three nights or more. Okay, good many of you still. How many of you have been camping for an entire week? Oh, great. How many of you have been camping for a month or more? Anyone? Lori! Yes! And she's like, Michael, you too. You got to own up to it. I was camping with you. I know you were camping. Okay. The tra- the, that transitory life, moving around, that nomad life, right? You know, we, we've enjoyed it. First year of uh, year and a half of marriage, I was, like I was living out of a suitcase. We were kind of nomads. We were in Chicago for a little bit, finished up school, did a three-month pastoral residency in Parker, and then we did uh, three months in Turkey as missionaries. I mean, we were all over the place, right? It was like I was living out of a suitcase for a year. But the permanent and the transitional we need to know the two of them. My, my neighbor, uh, I've, been, I've been working on my front yard, and you can't work on your front yard in secret. Like, everybody <laughs> sees you working in your front yard. I could be working on a bathroom, remodeling that, and no one would know, right? Right? But the front yard, um, people know. Neighbors stop. They shout things, you know, encouraging things, and, you know. Um, but my next-door neighbor told me this. He said, he said, Gabe, I see the work that you're doing, all the work you're doing, and I know you're not going anywhere. That's what he said, right? And I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, this is home. I'm trying to make it good for my family because I'm staying here. And it's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.1. He said that what the Lord is bringing to an end, it comes with glory. But what is permanent has more glory, what's lasting. And this morning, I want to talk about the permanent nature of agape love in the church, the eternal nature of this agape love within the body of Christ, that it is permanent compared to the temporary or the transient, the for a short time nature of spiritual gifts. And what I want us to do is I want us to be inspired to, to know the reason why we work hard in this workshop of love in the church, even when it's ugly or hard or, or um, we're t- our love is tested, that it is worth it because of the eternality of the love of God that he's poured into our church, that a part of the glory of God that we reflect is the kind of love that God pours into us and that, that 
that shapes the culture of the church that we are and our relationships and how we care for one another. Now, I want to bring up the ugly part of it. And this is kind of like a, a capstone message here ending 1 Corinthians 13. I want to bring this home. I want this to be unforgettable. But there's a problem because we do allow voids of love as Christians. We do. Think about it. We allow voids of love even in our leaders. We allow voids of love in our leaders as Christians because they're influencers. They have influence. We give them a pass at not caring about people. We give them, we give them a get-out-of-jail-free card because they have influence or prominence. Right? I, I think about specific people. As I think about the temporary and the eternal, think about Ravi Zacharias, a temporary ministry that is over, that is done for, that is lost. An incredible influence. The people close to him gave him a free pass because of his incredible influence. Or I think about a, a man like Johnny Hunt, right? Who had a moral failure, who was in leadership at the Southern Baptist and in conversation in his failure with the, the people that he failed, these words were said that thousands of churches look up to him. Look at his influence. You can't share with people. You can't make public where he failed. Oh, my goodness. That is Christendom in the U.S., we allow a free pass because people have influence, but they do not have love. We allow vacancies in our love in churches and hold church bodies because we as a people come to the churches and say, my need is met, and so I'm okay if there isn't love here, if there isn't a loving culture, if it doesn't reflect Jesus because my needs are met, and as long as they're met, then I'm okay that love is not a virtue or a part of the character of this church. We allow that. As long as our needs are met, that we can consume what we get here, then we're okay with love being a continual shortcoming of the community of believers. But that's not what I really want to talk about. I want to show that that's a real problem. But I want to talk about the void of love personally in our own hearts. The one that Gabe deals with. And I do deal with it. I've got, I've got real examples of, wow, it was hard to love this person. I'd rather ignore them. I'd rather give them the silent treatment. I'd, I'd rather think about how I could get back at them instead of loving them like Jesus would. We allow love to be absent in our own hearts because then we couldn't speak the truth as sharply as we like. We couldn't jab. We couldn't criticize. We couldn't... Uh, butcher the ideas, right? And as I think about this idea of ministry or church is meant to suit me and my needs, like when your church comes out with a new idea, and it's just like, that doesn't suit me. And so I'm going to butcher this idea. Like I'm going to, death by criticism. I'm just going to show you how terrible this idea is. I'm going to beat it up. Nobody's going to want this. We're just going to let it go. We're just going to let it slide, you know? Like, we don't think about this. 
oh, maybe this Bible ministry program, maybe it's going to be really helpful for some other people. Maybe it is going to be really good for their discipleship, for their growth. We allow love to be absent in our hearts because our gifting or service doesn't require love for the body. We think that we can, and this is what Paul's talking about specifically, that we can use our gifts, that they're more important. Like, what we do is more important than how we do it. What we do is more important than how we do it. That our gifting or service can carry us, not love for our church body. Or thirdly, because we're gaining position and place in our Christian community well enough without love. I fit in without being a loving person, and so it's okay. It's okay for me to skip over that. Or lastly, because my theological knowledge will make up for a heart of love for God's people. Those are some reasons why we allow love to be absent from from our chest in the community of Christ. And it shouldn't be so. But it was the same way in Corinth in the church. And it's the same way in some ways in our community. And we want to get rid of it. We want to do what Paul does and shine a direct spotlight right on it. Because when we allow agape love to be neglected, then our our church community reality is out of line with our heavenly reality. You know, you remember when Jesus surprised the Pharisees, you know, as he's, as he's doing ministry one way and they're criticizing him and they're beating him up and they're saying that's terrible, that's wrong. You know, you're unclean, Jesus, because of who you're hanging out with. And he tells these parables about heaven is rejoicing that I'm hanging out with these people, that they see my love and my grace. And your heart is way out of line with that. Heaven rejoices while you criticize me is what he's saying. In our reality, if we, if we neglect love as a church community, means that our entire community will be out of line with our heaven reality in Christ. Now, what is agape love? Agape love is that sincere care. I want your good. Even if it means sacrifice, even if it means I have to overlook you know, something that I would like, I'm going to put that aside because of your good, of your well-being, that I care about you. You know, the Christian reckoning of our day is this, that we allow ministries and people to gain popularity when love is lacking. We've jettisoned the words of the Proverbs that tell us, instead of listening to our heart, to actually speak to our heart to tell our heart who and how to love. That's what Proverbs tells us, that we can't trust our fickle, wavering, and even at times cold hearts, but that we need to use it. We can't neglect our heart, that we need to fan into flame. What should we love and how should we do this? So here is our capstone application for you to speak to your heart, to choose eternal and lasting love in the moments of this day, in particular for the church body. But to see that the choices in these moments that we make and in this life, that they last forever. That they last forever. And and here's the reason why. Spiritual gifts will end. Spiritual gifts will end. They will cease They will cease. In this way, you could say I'm a cessationist. There is no gift. There is no gift. Preaching, 
There is no gift, hospitality, there's no gift that is going to carry us into heaven that we will continue to exercise in the same ways. No, they will cease, they will end, but love never falls. Love never falls. Right here, Paul, there's one idea. He's going to illustrate this with three pictures to think about. But his point is this, that love never fails, it never falls. It's not temporary, it's eternal, it's lasting. And and specifically, he's talking about the love between people in the church. Not a vague or, or ideal love, but a specific love between people, brothers and sisters in Christ. And what kind of love, you know, a love that just says, do whatever you want to, or no, an agape love that I have your very best in mind, even if we have to share tough things with people. You know, even if we have to say, no, we we can't tolerate that in, in our community. Paul is saying that you and I will never be wrong for choosing the good of our brother and sister. Not not choosing to give them the silent treatment, not choosing to be cold, not choosing revenge. That will never be wrong choosing love. Now, why does love never end? Here's, Here's two big reasons why. Because our love as Christians, and in particular in the church, is an important is, a, is an imperfect yet important reflection of the love of the Trinity. So you and I reflect in an important way. Not a perfect way. We get it wrong all the time. That's okay. But in an important way, our agape love as the church reflects the love, the care, the concern that the Godhead share between Father, Son, and Spirit. That they've always shared for all eternity. And then what Jesus saves us when we trust his grace and follow him, that we are reconciled into that relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that we enter into that eternal love, that we were broken, that we had fallen out of, but that God reached down and redeemed by his grace and demonstrated an unbreakable love, a steadfast love. And you and I, in our relationships, we reflect something totally different. We reflect that love between Father, Son, and Spirit that we enter into. We reflect it. And the second big reason why this love never ends is this, because we will enter that loving fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit perfectly. I say will, right? That's future tense. Like, I'm in. Like, I'm justified. I've experienced God's grace. You know, even though I'd broken everything that God made me to be, I'd broken it. I get to enter into that relationship, that perfect love, and that in heaven I will experience it perfectly. That's what Paul means right here, that we reflect it and that we will enter into it, that that's our story for all eternity. Now, here are three pictures, three pictures to illustrate this permanent, this eternal love in the temporary things like spiritual gifts or, or, or other things that we use to love people. In verses 9 through 10, it's this. It's the partial versus the whole. The partial versus the whole. Um, Paul means if you put all your attention on the spiritual gifts, it's like looking at part of the picture while neglecting the whole of it. Wholeness is a big idea in the Old Testament. 
Wholeness is when everything is put back together, restored right the way it should. In, in the story of Job, you've got, he's this wealthy, prosperous, great family, very godly man, and then he loses everything, and he suffers the loss of all in pain and disease in his body. And then God teaches him lessons, and he restores. What does he restore back? Family, his house, his flocks. That's a great illustration of Job was made whole, right? That is wholeness. When Job is blessed by God in the end. Think about the tabernacle. You think about there's this Ark of the Covenant. It represented God's special presence. The priest carried it around, and it symbolized God's presence goes with his people, Israel. And, and at first, we had this tent called the tabernacle. And while they were in transition in tent camping, but I don't think they had cool chairs like this when they were tent camping. But when they were tent camping uh, through the wilderness, the tabernacle went with them, and they set it up. And it was this special tent that represented God's presence. And then King Solomon comes along, David's son, and he builds this glorious temple that they put the Ark of the Covenant in. And what do they do with the tabernacle? It's never heard of again. Even when, even when Solomon's temple is, is torn down by King Nebuchadnezzar, he just destroys it. No one in Israel says, well, let's bring out the tabernacle. No one, right? Because it was something that was temporary. It was transient. They were beyond that. When the temple was destroyed, everybody's mind was fixed on, man, when are we going to rebuild the temple? No one was saying, well, let's go back to the easier thing, the tabernacle. Let's do that. They had moved on. And for us, even more than that, as Christians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, this same letter, Paul says this, or do you not know, Christian, that your body is a temple, a house of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were you are bought, you were claimed with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your life matters because God's spirit is in you, Christian. But his point right here is this. If prophecy is a ministry of speaking a word on behalf of God, if praying in tongues is speaking a heavenly language we don't understand, if knowledge is, is understanding and insight into God's word to understand who he is, to share with others, that those things will be changed when we are in heaven with God. It's like this. It's like the gift of a cell phone, right? I've, I've got a bunch of family in Kansas City. You know, maybe you've got family here in Colorado, but maybe you've got family that's further away that you go and visit. And, and I try to call my family, you know, once a week, every other week, and I use my cell phone, right? I use my cell phone to talk with them. Cell phone, it's a gift, right? Sometimes it's a curse, but it's a gift in that respect, right? Getting to talk with with uh, my parents and let them talk with their grandkids and, and uh, talking with aunts and uncles and my nieces and nephews. That's a gift. That's a gift. But when I go to Kansas City, I do not sit in the living room across from my niece, Eleanor. I don't, I don't, I don't pick up my cell phone and call Eleanor when she's right there, right? I don't do that. And Paul's opening up our mind. He's saying, in the same way, in a similar way, like, these things will be gone when we are in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Like, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to need a word of prophecy from your church. You don't need a mouthpiece of God. 
you will be with him face to face. You will hear from him directly. You won't need insight into God's word. You're going to have an incredible insight in this personal knowledge of who he is and experience in heaven. These spiritual gifts, they are temporary. They are going to change. They help the church community in this age, but they are useless when we are with Jesus face to face. Now, I just got to bring up a quick word. There is a belief of cessationism, which talks about some spiritual gifts not being for today. And this is a hot verse for that right here. And, and, and I just, I've got one thing to say. Uh, cessationism says that these spiritual gifts end for today. And, and if you're a cessationist, you don't believe that the gift of prophecy is for today or speaking and praying in tongues is for today. I want to say, I respect you. I love you. We can be in the same church, right? This is not a primary issue. But I do want to say this. There's a real problem because Paul mentions, if you're going to use this verse to justify cessationism, that there are no tongues today, there is no prophecy for today, then you also need to say that there is no knowledge for today. Because those are the three gifts that Paul brings up. And he says that these will cease. Prophecy will cease. Tongues will cease. And, and we're, as cessationists, we're like, yes, that's right. Amen. Preach it, Paul. And then we're like, and the gift of knowledge will cease. And we're like, no, that doesn't cease yet. No, we like that one for today. And what I'm saying is this knowledge, this understanding of Bible and theology, being able to share with others, this insight into spiritual truth. We can't keep that one and throw the others out with this passage. So we've, you've got to find a different passage to justify that belief, is what I'm saying. And if we go that line of thinking with this passage, it ruins Paul's logical thought right here, which is trying to paint in the future. These gifts are good for the church today. In the future, in the heavenly realm, those things will be gone. They'll be useless. But one thing is really going to matter. Your love. Your love for the community. The agape love in your hearts is the permanent home life. Spiritual gifts, they're transitional. They're like tent camping for this age, for this day. But there's a glorious home, being with God. And love in our hearts is going to be a part of that permanent home for God and for his people. The second picture is this. It's not the temporary and the permanent. He moves on to talk about that love is our character transformation. Oh boy, isn't it a game changer? Companies thinking about where is our culture going? Like what will our culture support in the future? And companies and businesses right now are making the choice of, oh, we're going to make that change. We're going to make that change sooner rather than later. They're trying to think about where are we going and that's what Paul talks about as he talks about consider the ways of a child. Right? We understand the ways of a child. They cry, they whine, uh, you know, they have to get what they want. You know, even babies are the clearest, right? You know, like I need food. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I need to be changed. I'm going to cry. <laughs> until I get that, until I get what I want. I'm tired. I'm going to cry until I get what I want. I know we'd like to say that we've given up our childish ways, but I, I feel that I do the same, right? I cry and I whine until I get what I want. But Paul's point is this, that we put childish ways behind. We stopped doing that. 
We learned self-discipline. We learned how to control our emotions. We learned maturity. We learned how to pick up responsibility, that we can say, I don't have to be entertained in this moment, that I can do something hard and difficult, that I can care, that I can love someone. That was transformation. And Paul is, Paul is saying that there's a similar transformation that happens with us. Taking on the character of Christ, in particular right here, love. As a church community, we say, we know that our future character in heaven is a perfect agape love that we enjoy even right now receiving from God. But what is he going to perfect in our character? But that I will be able to love better, perfectly, like Jesus does. That's where I'm going. You as a Christian that understands God's word right here, you know what your character will be. So I want to ask you a question. If I said, if I said, are you a loving person? Think about what you'd say. It could be yes or no. I don't know how you'd answer. Do you know how you'd answer? No, in some ways, you know, yes, and other ways, not. But here's the most important question for this passage. Will you be a loving person? This passage, Christian, says, Absolutely, your future transformation into heaven is that your love will be perfected. It's not something you set aside, like, like the money that you've earned and accumulated, you set aside. You do not get to take that to heaven, right? We know that. But do you understand that spiritual gifts, we set those aside. Only what lasts is the love that we have demonstrated from our hearts. I, th I think about this. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in Britain. Um, he, one of the greatest preachers in the last few hundred years. Such a good, clear communicator. What a gifted preacher. Did you know that Charles Spurgeon will not be preaching in heaven? He will not be known for his preaching in heaven. No, that will be gone. That was a spiritual gift that helped build up the church in, in our day and age. But it won't be what Spurgeon will be doing in heaven, what he'll be rejoicing in. What will, as that spiritual gift goes away, is this. The second thing we know about Charles Spurgeon, that he had a deep, sincere, persevering love for the body of Christ. And that love is eternal. It never goes away. His gifting as a preacher, absolutely. What, what will you be? You will be a loving person. That is your character. It's your character in the future, and so it means that's what we should lean into right now. And that leads us to the last picture, that love is our clear future. See, some things are, are hard to understand in this transition to heaven. I remember our brother, Ray Taylor, who, who just went home to be with the Lord. I mean, in the last couple years of his life, as I visited him, biggest question he asked was, Gabe, what is heaven going to be like? 
We had so many conversations these last two years about what will heaven be like. And there are a lot of things that we can't make sense of right now, but there are some things that we can understand. And Paul describes it right here as he talks about being able to see dimly, being able to see into a mirror. And this is the truth, that we don't understand some things, and yet some things will become clear and clear, like God's goodness towards us, the ways that he's loved us steadfastly. Even when we weren't conscious of it, even when we didn't understand it, Paul says, you'll see into a, 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 a mirror dimly. And when he says that, you need to understand that he's talking about a day and age, you know, not when they made mirrors with machines that give you like a near perfect image of what you look like. He's talking about when they would take a bronze piece of metal and they would polish it down until you could just barely see this fuzzy picture of who you were. Mirrors weren't very good. It was hard to see your own face. I mean, I want you to imagine, uh, you can see everybody else's face, but you can't see your own for your entire life. I mean, those are the people that Paul is writing to right here, that we don't understand as we want to peer into this eternal, this heavenly reality, as we want to reflect that as the church, sometimes some things are confusing or fuzzy, but this this we can know with clarity, that a loving community in the Godhead is our future. And so a loving community as the church has to be our present. It has to be what we yearn for and long for right here, right now. What it means for us is that we cannot emphasize starting new ministry. We cannot emphasize our gifts, what our church should or shouldn't do in a way that would destroy the community of love. That a community of love is something that Jesus died for on the cross and that you and I get the responsibility of guarding and protecting that is valuable, that reflects Jesus that we can't, we can't have amazing events and, and incredible attendance or, or build any cool building, that we can do none of that without preserving and guarding a culture of love that reflects Jesus, that reflects our eternal destination. My plea at the beginning was this. It was this. For you and I, that we would be a people that speak to our hearts. And instead of just living by what we feel like, but to speak to our hearts and speak this message. And this is clearly what Jesus wants for us, a love for his people. That's an eternal love. The things that we do in this life to love our brothers and sisters will drastically change when we are in heaven, when we are with God. But the eternal love that we have in our hearts, that we show, that motivates what we do, that is an eternal virtue that reflects Jesus and that we take into heaven. It lasts. It's permanent. And so speak to your heart right now. And this morning, it's honest examination. Where am I? Am I a loving person? Do I really care about the good of my brothers or sisters? Or do I not? And I'd encourage you. You and I can look at Jesus' perfect example. And if you're like me this morning, I'm saying I have a long ways to go. 
that you and I can find forgiveness, restoration, but that we find our example, our inspiration in how we see Jesus love his people so well, so willing to restore disciples who had just failed him, so willing to love and stick with people who were, who were hard to deal with, who we saw some of the same character flaws over and over, and Jesus continued to have their good in mind because they were his. Will you look at your brothers and sisters and say, I will love you with a never giving up eternal kind of love because you are God's. Because that's what Paul calls for right here. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you have poured love into our hearts, that we get to reflect your glory in this way. God, I pray for um, as we look at relationships and the state of them, maybe, maybe relationships with our coworkers and, and how we're graded by, by different measurements, how we perform and if we keep the peace or if we're fun or if we measure relationships in our family some other way, you know, so-and-so is a loving person. Who's a loving person in our family? Would you help us to have a different rubric? Would we look to Jesus? Would we look to you that's our example of how to treat people, to give up vengeful ways, to give up critical spirits and being grumpy towards other people. Lord, would you help us to see that heavenly kind of love in Jesus? God, I pray for this church that you would guard love. Lord, that people would know us by our love for each other. God, I pray uh, for a community that is shaped by Christ's love. Lord, of all the different things that we do or, or ways that we serve you, Lord, don't let us neglect, don't let us forget this one. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.